0: Hello and welcome
1: to Under the Pages, a podcast created by four journalism students,
2: where we are discussing the mistrust within journalism
1: and how we
3: feel about it getting into the industry.
0: Hello, I'm Amy Delaunay and I'm the host for this last episode in the series. In the last three episodes, we have spoken about COVID-19 reporting, misleading and clickbait headlines and moral panic. For this episode, we are talking all things mistrust within journalism organisations. Coming up on this episode we are going to be talking about our views as third year journalism students graduating next year, on what organisations we trust or don't and who we'd love to work for and finally I speak to ex-BBC and ITV reporter presenter Anna Brees to hear her views. So let's get into it. (music) So thank you for joining me today, guys. Shall we start off by talking about a Reuters Institute report that was conducted earlier this year? Um, So the Reuters Institute Digital News report conducted in January this year found 36% of people in the UK trust most news most of the time. So obviously that's 64% of people that don't. And that figure is actually up from 28% in January 2020 before the pandemic began, but it's still 14 points lower than before the Brexit referendum in 2016. So the UK was just one of 46 media markets around the world that were surveyed on the topic of trustworthiness, which was about 92,000 people, including more than 2,000 from the UK. So what do we think about that? I don't know about you guys, but I'm actually surprised that that's increased since the pandemic, but there may be, as we were home, obviously more people watching the news religiously and people took comfort into listening to the news. It's not Mm. We weren't thinking about how it can be manipulated we just wanted to know what the facts were. 36%. I'm gonna say I was about to say 36% is not yeah, very yeah, high. That, that that's very terrible. Low, very Even low. if it's been an increase as you yeah. said
3: that's still like mm-hmm. atrocious. Yeah.
2: Especially when you in especially in like the UK we have the BBC, you know, that's meant to be a publicly funded journalism place like that should be completely honest and people should be uh, trusting that 100%. And mm. if it's only 36% then What is our money going to, man? You know.
0: Yeah, and just touching on what I said about obviously it's increased since the pandemic began. A 35 year old female was mentioned on the report and video they done, who said, first of all, I was really engrossed with it, as in obviously news with the uh, pandemic, and I think we were all. But then the crack started to show. But we would still go to the BBC because we think it's reliable source, like. What we wanted to know about COVID, we would go to the BBC to, you know, even as journalists, our writing we feel is more professional getting sources from the BBC rather than maybe the Sun. But um well, yeah, it's not very high at all, is it? Thirty six percent. Yeah, because mm.
1: when um, it was COVID and lockdown, like all the government announcements were hosted by the BBC. Like yeah, most of it was done by the BBC, and that's where you go to listen to boris johnson's new guidelines on covid and everything. oh yeah
2: yeah the everyday briefings so
1: i feel like yeah. was it was it even on itv i feel like it was just bbc I think it, was it was both it was both, both. Yeah. but for me my family household like it was just bbc we watched um i r- i remember in uh lockdown we literally was watching bbc and then after a few months of lockdown we changed because we literally said like we don't we can't watch it like it's too they focus so negatively on stuff, like we literally Mm. changed to ITV or Channel 5 because they were more like heart of the head, some light-hearted stories where we felt like the BBC was very just focused on COVID. It was very uh, glass half empty.
0: Yeah, because obviously from the report as well, the BBC, ITV, Sky News and Channel 4 who are required to meet strict impartiality standards obviously remain the most trusted news brands and popular outlets such as The Sun and the Mail attract I- big audiences online, but
1: obviously are strongly distrusted. Hmm. I feel like because they started online, which is the same time that everyone started online and can post anything i don't they didn't they didn't ever had that I mean obviously they had newspapers before that, but I feel like they're most known for being online now, like they're dodgy headlines at times, like I don't know, just people I don't know they just can't trust them as much now
0: no and i think one of the big things that um has come out uh with trustworthiness and things was obviously um scandals within the bbc so scandals on these traditional mainstream outlets are coming to light more and one scandal that was mentioned in the reports was of martin Bashir's princess diana interview um back in 99 because of Mm. obviously the methods he used to obtain the interview um, using deception and so scandals like that and Jimmy Savile etc putting distrust in the public which we maybe not had questions before. The lady I speak to later in the podcast Anna Brice, um, said in an interview that I watched with her you know they've been in your living room on the TV like a member of your family sitting in the corner of our homes teaching us truth that we trusted and believed in almost it is almost like a member of the family, like an auntie or an uncle that comes into your house every single day that you listen to and believe in and you're going to start to challenge and question that that's going to take some time. And that's so true because, you know, for like my grandparents, they'll watch, you know, six o'clock news, 10 o'clock news, you know, earlier on in the day, they'll watch the news. They are literally like part of the family sat there in your room that you just think, oh, you know what, They you wouldn't even question it. Like You just think they're the BBC, they're telling me, What I'm, yeah, yeah.
1: I think everyone's got some trust in the BBC because it was like monopolized at the start, you know, back in the day in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Like, there wasn't many news channels. I mean, I think there was like three or four at one point, and uh, the only news one was BBC. And I'm just thinking, like, because that was the only choice, like, people just had to rely on them and had to trust them. Um so they've built up that reputation, but I feel like now there's more options. People are realising actually there are maybe better options for them and then that's when they started out the BBC. Yeah.
3: Yeah, because obviously they did have like newspaper companies and things like that that was like separate news, but if you wanted something like breaking news and something, it was only the BBC. And I guess as kind of Sam mentioned before, there was like it's it's made for the people of, you know, the UK, of Great Britain. And you kind of have that sus- that hope that it would be truthful and it should be trustworthy but if 36 percent says then there's obviously something something not right here that's happening that m- makes it seem that it's not that way because I think uh, as I, especially from my own family's point of view um you know the BBC is supposed to be this kind of neutral party in a sense you know they're meant to like Be very middle ground but i feel like there has Mm. been situations where they have felt more left or more right in Mm, a sense mostly veering more left i would would say but you know it doesn't maybe nowadays it doesn't feel as neutral as it once did
0: yeah anyone
1: is it is it is anyone able to be fully neutral though for like either way whatever you're reporting there's always a bit of bias like you Mm -hmm. can't really avoid that Yeah.
0: yeah and i guess there's so many writers and reporters then they'll obviously have influence and then if you're getting it checked by someone else who's of similar to you they won't really pick up on it because they just think oh i think that like but then i guess that is their job they've got to remain like as journalists we have to remain unbiased anyway so they should be picking up on that
2: Mm. yeah i mean the bbc though it's meant to be that they hire both left and right-wing people Mm -hmm. so then if the left-wing people write something very left-wing then the right people, yeah from Mm -hmm. the right people
1: balance it
0: out but I'm interested to know, um, like, well, obviously, I mentioned we're going to be graduating next year. So, what kind of organisations would we want to work with? And maybe have they changed from when we first started journalism? First of all, I wanted to hear from other journalists at BC on their thoughts. So, have a listen to this.
2: I want to work for BBC because, first of all, I give you a heck ton of money. And also, I guess from a journalistic point of view, you're going to have the best access, you're pretty much guaranteed the best access to the most important events uh, you're covering, whether that's sport or fashion or, I don't know, just anything big, you're pretty much guaranteed best access. So yeah, I'd say BBC. The that
3: I would like to work for, um, at least one of them, is Genius, which is based in the, in the US. But um, I just feel like they have so many cool different roles that as a journalist, being a journalist student, I feel like I'd be able to fit in nicely while at the same time doing something that is related to music
2: and lyricism, which is something that I'm interested in and working with artists and things like that. So once I graduate from uni, ideally I'd want to Work for a radio station, um, possibly like in their sports team, um, if not as a like a BA or something like that. Like a local radio to start with, like BBC Radio shrop or BBC WM. And then work my more, uh, more national radios. Um, or I would also like to work for a sports club, as a club journalist, like any football club, professional football club, cricket club, rugby club, something mm. like that.
0: What do we think about that? I feel like obviously two there mentioned um, the BBC. I feel like most journalists in the UK at uni, like, I think whenever we've done things in class, sort of the ultimate job would everyone, most people say the BBC because we think it's the most trusted. I mean, personally, I would love to work for the BBC at Radio One Extra, but it doesn't mean obviously I agree with everything they say or that they've done or reported on. and. You're, we all like to be that kind of journalist that comes in to an organisation and makes change or reports on mm-hmm. things that we don't hear so what do you guys think like should I not work What w- would you think I shouldn't work for them am I being a hypocrite or
1: I think it, BBC is a great opportunity because it really gives you a head start and stuff um, it's like a solid job to I mean even not even if it's your end job in the end like you've, you've done it like people are like oh you've made it if you've made it to the BBC yeah you've got a bit um, of a name I feel like even though a lot of people, I guess, have worked at the BBC and then maybe move somewhere else, I feel like a lot of people probably probably stay within that organisation. Whereas a lot of people, if they work for a little company, will just move up and up and up. Yeah. And then maybe end up at the BBC.
0: Yeah, and obviously print journalism is very different to radio. Mm. So, you know, you can make mayb- like people can explore different avenues and yeah, have there's maybe different boundaries and guidelines with within both sides of the. Um, journalism, but what? Where would you guys want to work? What organisations?
2: Uh honestly, like the BBC is a good place to work at, but um, I don't know. It wouldn't be where I would have liked to go because, like we, like, like, like we said earlier, like BBC only do very, very down stories. You know, they're very like mundane. They talk about very serious issues all the time. But, but then I we had
0: like the talk at the at uni with John Brake, and he does quite upbeat. He kind
1: of agrees. That's that true. The BBC. He wants to bring more light-hearted stories yeah. to the BBC. Feel yeah, like it's um, the main, like the news at six or something. Um, they always do the main stuff, but because he works in social media, it's easier to post like really often and maybe really small stories that you know, just little clips and stuff, so people can choose whether they want to watch them or not. And that's mm. where they get more freedom in what they do. Yeah,
2: hundred percent. But um, back to uh, where I would like to work. I w- my dream is the Times. Hmm. New York Times for me is number one. The New York Times have a huge broad journalism sector in their area, so mm-hmm. that's my dream.
1: I'd pretty like to work for like Lad Bible or something that's like a targeted at a younger demographic. Yeah, because obviously the gr- the the target audience is me. Um, so I feel like I understand what they want to post, and also I'm a journalist, so I understand how they want to post and how they do it. But I just like the whole uh, environment of it and, like, you can still post serious stuff, but I like the whole, they're catching on with trends and, yeah, it just seems like it's a a nice place to to work for.
0: 100%.
2: And
1: Megan?
3: Well, see, everyone's got, like, really, well, I mean, Chloe, I guess Chloe doesn't, but, like, serious kind of news angles that they want to go for. Well, I'm really interested in, like, gaming journalism and stuff like that, so I wouldn't have even considered working for the BBC. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, like, such a, a, a big thing, and I can see why well, that would be an, an interest to some people. But I've got my heart set for things like IGN, Game Rant, yeah. that kind of stuff, where they kind of address a, a bigger, wider audience worldwide, but it's, like, you know, the topic is games, and I really, uh, I'm really, i really interested in gaming myself, so I'd want to cover that for a yeah. career and report on that kind of stuff, because the, the big events have always interest me and that kind of stuff, so I'd really like to just report on those kind of things cause that's what interests me
0: so do you think you're because you've obviously been here three years now like cast yourself back to when we first joined did were you similar and similar and thinking oh i want to work for the bbc and now you've branched off and found other journalism outlets that you'd want to work or have you always wanted to
1: i think um i did initially want to work for the bbc i mean i'd still love to i think it's a really good opportunity but if i have a choice like I do prefer like younger demographic aimed ones because I feel like I know more about it. But yeah, when I first joined, I just thought the only option was like BBC, go BBC. If you work for a small organisation or what you're doing, just go for the BBC. But mm. I've realised like it's more, it's better. You can put more work into it if you're passionate about who you what who you're working for. Yeah, hundred
2: percent. You do better work if you enjoy it.
1: Mm. I guess um, that's the thing. Like there are
0: so many outlets out there now that there's so many different magazines and websites and people to work for but i guess the only thing for us coming into the actual industry would just be money and (laughs) whether yeah yeah and you know jobs in the bbc would be quite well paid I'm not sure about gaming, Megan, is that well would that be well paid on smaller uh,
3: yes and no. Smaller things definitely not. But yeah. if I get big stuff like IGN, yeah. Sort of thing, I think realistically the way it's looking at, I'd be like freelancing for a long time before I'm set in stone. Yeah. But to be honest, at in my third year at this point, I'm kinda like if I don't get a job in gaming journalism, I'm like well willing to look at like PR teams for gaming companies and mm. things like that because I think the reality is setting it in stone that I'm going to get a job in journalism is just not the way to go anymore.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, we've all got degrees, and we're all going to get degrees in journalism, but I, I like the fact we can literally do anything. As long as I'm doing something to do with writing, I'll be happy. That's all yeah. I want to do.
0: So I mentioned Anna Brees earlier, so let's get into the talk I got to have with her about her views after working with the BBC and ITV in the past. So I'm joined today with Anna Brees, an ex-ITV and BBC reporter presenter with over 96,000 followers on Twitter and who now provides training on new media broadcast skills and is the author of the book Making the News and also a regional awards and Zookit Innovation Award winner for 2018. So a big thank you for taking the time to talk to me, Anna. You're I, I first of all wanted to ask like how it all started for you in the journalism world. How did you get into it?
4: Oh gosh, that's a good question. So I left uh, Lampeter University with a theology and anthropology degree, oh. and it was in 1998. And um, my mum said there aren't any jobs at the moment in the UK. And my uncle was um, Tony was um, a journalist citizen newspaper in Gloucester was a sub-editor he said do not become a journalist he said (laughs) no there's no money in it there's no job security there's no safety don't do it (laughs) but I thought I want to meet people I managed to get a job at the Guernsey Press just based on a a couple of days work experience because in the Channel Islands back then you didn't need any professional qualifications to become a journalist you just became a journalist for the Guernsey Press so I was a reporter I was on 16 grand a year um and I was I was on fourteen grand a year, I think, fourteen or sixteen thousand pounds a year, and I was a journalist for the Guernsey Press. And but again, it was the Channel Islands. It was nice people, but no, it wasn't for me. I ended up wanting to get back to the UK, so I needed to do some kind of professional qualification. And then after that, I got a job at ITV in the Channel Islands, Um, and that was a really interesting period of my life because I was desperate to get back to the UK. They call it the mainland. I'm from Gloucestershire. But there was just, you know, it it was just, I wasn't very confident. I was going for these jobs at the BBC. They were all regional reporting and presenting jobs ITV, BBC. And I was just getting maybe the last two and I wasn't getting anywhere. And in the end, I had like 11 job applications and I didn't get anywhere. And I just thought, Anna, you've got to leave the Channel Islands. I was again, I was miserable. So in the end, I just, I just said, I'm going to go. Yeah, was <laughs> going to take my job, yeah. and I ended up being on an, an um, on an employment benefit for a few months, and um, I just started doing work experience for ITV Oxford, um, and I started getting some really good stories, and they could see I had talent. I did my first live, and it went from a three month, well, it went from like a, a bit of work experience to a three month contract, but it was difficult to get it. It was difficult to get into TV, and it was I was with the Oxford and Cambridge graduates, you know, and lots oh, of privately yeah. educated. ITV Oxford then in Abingdon was shut down um, and we all thought we were going to lose our, our jobs, but I ended up being headhunted and I went, went, ended up with the main presenter jobs at ITV in Birmingham.
0: Yeah.
4: Incredible. Moved to ITV Birmingham, one of the main presenters, and ITV kept getting rid of their regional stations mm-hmm. and I think they should have done that because it was a really good... Um, they, I think they regret that now because they had a mm-hmm. great connection with the... Um, so, for example... Um, Wesley ITV and Oxford. He had been on this TV for such a long time. He built up a relationship with the community of trust and the brand of ITV. So even though they weren't making money from ITV regionalese, it was a um it was a powerful brand because the public really trusted Wes and all the other presenters at ITV and Abington. They just got rid of the whole region. And then they yeah. were going to merge West and East Midlands. Oh uh,
0: yeah. So again,
4: I was facing my job, losing my job. Um, one of them, there were 10 presenters, they were going down to three presenters. So I thought I got to get out of here really, because what's the likelihood of me getting one of these jobs with two big massive IT regions merging into three presenters. Um, So I managed to get a job at the BBC as a presenter. And again, I was one of the main presenters at BBC Saturday. Um, I didn't realize I was pregnant at the time. um, And that was in 2009. When he came along, there was a part of me that was so um, proud. Of the sacrifices I'd made and the commitment I'd made to that career and how I wanted it to continue. But at the same time, that little boy is my whole world, children are my whole world. And that came first. And I was very lucky to be able to, um, you know, I didn't have as much money, you know, I couldn't, you know, I was earning good money at ITV and BBC. And then, but then I I put the kids first. I did go back briefly to BBC Wales. I worked for a programme called BBC X Ray for just for a couple of months. They offered me a full time job, but again, um, my second child was on the way, and they were they needed me. They were little. Um, They really, really needed me. Then I've um, ended up working for the National Union of Journalists, trading Wales, doing admin, and it was just kind of a part time job. And I was uh, very quietly getting on with life, very happy. Not earn a lot of money, but it was an easy job, really, really easy admin job for the NUJ. And then I wasn't sure if the job with the NUJ was going to continue. So I started to look at doing courses and we were running what something called how to film and edit on an iPhone. And this was back in when the iPhone 4 was around. And it was just the demand for this course, how to shoot and edit on an iPhone. It's a two day course. The demand was incredible. Used a different editing app called KineMaster. I use um, an AutoCue app. I talk about subtitles, how to add your own branding, the kind of shots you need. And when you work at ITV, you have to do it all. You're a one man band. Yeah. So I'm able to pass on those skills. When I was at the BBC, they couldn't believe that I could edit because <laughs> they didn't do that. <laughs> ITV, you have to do everything. Yeah. So then I ended up selling the course, going all around the country with big corporate clients, um, teaching this two day course um, on how to take control of the media with your mobile grow your profile on social media and um, then COVID came along and then child sexual abuse uh, victims came along and then whistleblowers came along and then um, my values were challenged and my principles again of putting children first um, kicked in and I saw the suffering and um, particularly among children and I had to reach out and help people like us for them a fantastic group who were trying to get a message on this morning so I know lots of people ITV this morning I used to work with they would, they would say they would talk to them when the lockdown happened and children were out of school and suffering and then they just dropped them. Um, and I had to come in, I think, and and I felt I had to come in and help as a journalist again, and, but I had to come back and help um, because this has been a, a very, very long, dark period, I think, for journalism. And it's not looking very bright at the moment, but um, hopefully people like you can bring back what we need in journalism. I'd like to know a little bit more about your views on um whether journalists are doing their job properly listening to the public holding power to account representing all voices taking the time to investigate stories listen to whistleblowers etc or are yeah. they just regurgitating press releases yeah what do you think
0: i mean i think a big thing for me that i see online is that the whole kind of mental health thing and how like this, there's still publications that are you know pub- publicizing oh the best and the worst dressed and you're like, why, how is that still allowed? Like shaming people and like taking pictures of them at uncomfortable angles when obviously they're not going to look their best and they're still allowed to publicise it or even, um, you know, if the football, someone had a heart attack, I think it was, and they're filming it. Like, it's just not like humane. It's not, I don't think as a journalist, you're obviously supposed to be unbiased. It's not something that I feel that's...
4: Well, what is a journalist? Mild- we need to ask. Yeah, we need to ask the question, what is a journalist? Because we yeah. all have the means to publish and yeah. film and publish. Um, I think it comes down to trust and content. Yeah. So, you know, you, like you say, uh, ethically, would you film someone yeah. who collapsed or yeah, a definitely. child? You know, yeah. or um, you are all responsible for what you film and what you share. Um, journalists have more reach. But yeah. then I have more reach now than I ever had as a regional TV presenter and yeah. i've watched still watch regional news and i just think it's so old-fashioned if you change the media you change society you know a lot of journalists might think it would be fantastic to get a job at the bbc for example yeah. but i personally wouldn't work for them working in a team is fantastic and learning from mentors and other people that are older you know what i i think a lot of journalism's now, journalists now should be deeply embarrassed and ashamed of themselves and i think the whole um career has been the whole industry has been brought into question of what its relevance is and
2: yeah. what its
4: power really truly is other than you know you you go into communications if you were just going to pump out a corporate or government line you don't go into journalism journalism's about holding power to account and investigating things and i was horrified right from the beginning april may 2020 professor robert n just came to me saying the bbc aren't balanced he worked at imperial said that neil ferguson's modeling report wasn't balanced And then they just kept coming, Barrister Francis Hall, Simon Dolan, the entrepreneur, um, Dr. Rene Hunderkamp, Dr. Ricochet, um, former head of health analysis at the ONS, um, former public, um, PHW, Public Health Wales, media spokesperson, was head of diseases saying lockdowns don't work. They weren't really being heard. There was no debate, no balance. There was no counter-narrative. And it's got worse and worse and worse. And if I was a mainstream media journalist now and some of my old colleagues that I know, I could reel off all their names. Becky Johnson, Sarah Jamie, Alistair Bunkle, Matt Brindley, um, Katie Ricketts. There's loads of them. Correct Katchu, they <laughs> must be feeling a bit uncomfortable. I think they should be feeling uncomfortable because they've yeah. contributed to this um, situation where, well, they work for organizations that other people trust in the same way as they used to. Sue Cook used to work for the BBC. I didn't interview with her. She said, I've turned off radio, BBC Radio 4 for the first time in 20 years. Mm. Um, but I would say, you know, if you look at the media organisation, it's very difficult being a journalist. It's very difficult choosing the stories that you need, you think you can prioritise. So you have to look at your values. If your yeah. values are children first, then that would be your, that would motivate your running order. Yeah. So you put your values first, then you know your running order. And then you do have to make hard calls and judgments. So I have a lot of people in the past have called me with their stories and they're like, well, this is going to take me my time, months and months. And at the end of it, I don't think I'm gonna get this to be of a, a standard where it could be published because you need a right of reply. You need a multiple sources to confirm. And it's a lot of my time. And then it disappoints people. Yeah. You know, not, not every story of pain can be published, but the, the journalism thing. Um, you know, I had issues before with the independent inquiry of sexual abuse. They weren't really covering that and the horrific abuse that had happened to children. And because of COVID, you know it's it's has all come out but it's not really been a main topic of discussion. We're no. you know we're more interested don't we like you say in um celebrity crap yeah um than protecting our children. Um
0: yeah you just think sometimes there's more important things to report on than what J wearing. Obviously you know sometimes it's nice to break it up but you know what Katie Price is doing you know, in the into Sainsbury's or something. <laughs> I was just going to ask you actually. Um, just going back to the BBC and ITV, what was the kind of best and worst? Um, what you found in the job, your best and
4: worst of it? Oh gosh, the best! <laughs> it was having a laugh with the cameramen. <laughs> it was the editors. Oh, everyone off camera was brilliant. They were really good fun. You had a laugh, oh, and I love working with other people. And I've missed that. What was the worst bit? um I didn't you know what this was before social media came along so I didn't really feel that bad there wasn't any worse because it was fun it mm. wasn't like I thought oh there's this awful story we're not covering because back in those days we didn't really have social media so we yeah. used to do the front the front page of the newspaper would be our lead story and the, pe- the newspapers were good you know people would say I'm going to call the local paper and the stories would would come to us what was mm. the kind of
0: moment that you realized you didn't want to go back to like them kind of organi- organizations?
4: It was, it was when I realized we could all do it. Mm. Um, so it just felt like I could better use my skills to empower and educate and enable all voices to be heard, you know, yeah. represent all voices instead of just a few. Yeah. Um, so, you know, bumping into a BBC Rails Today reporting he was filming and editing a court report on his iPhone X. <laughs> We can all do it. It was simply a case of I feel more proud passing on my skills
2: yeah. and I
4: actually make a lot more money
2: <laughs>
4: and I'm a lot more free. There wasn't a lot of journalism involved in the TV presenting job I had, um, but a lot more of it is in the book, actually, Making the News 2018. And I tell you what, I started to write another book called Making the News 2019
0: oh, yeah. and I
4: couldn't. Oh. I got too upset. Um, oh. It was all about the different people i would met and... Um, to do with child abuse and, in particular, um, the Hope to Go in Jersey Children's Home story, and uh, there was different people, in uh, individuals who had not been heard—child um, mm-hmm. abuse survivors, police poli- policemen, um, professional social workers, uh, Len- Lenny Harper, who was deputy chief of police in Jersey—and um, the cover-up there. And it just, um, it just made me sad because I just mm-hmm. thought we've we've these stories, and then. At the point of injustice, at the point when you can do something and speak out, do the right thing, you've got to do it at that point. And we didn't. But what's really upsetting is, um, for example, um, Charlotte Wright's husband, Dr. Stephen Wright, died from the AstraZeneca vaccine. She really wanted to do an interview. And we contacted ITV and I know people at ITV and they gave me the details and they just didn't even respond. You know, I did the interview. And they um, they've ignored the pain, they've mm. ignored a big part and a section of the society. Um, and, I, and I'll never get that trust back, I think. People have yeah. really suffered and they just wanted to be heard. They just wanted the kind of narrative and the debate and it, it wasn't happening. And so many professional people who really needed a good media organisation to rely upon and feel that they've let them down. Really, has. Why
0: do you think it is that they're ignoring these stories or do you think it's down to like a certain person, Learning. higher up?
4: It's money, and I even I feel this now. So luckily, I've got some an income on Patreon. But I had somebody give me money, and then I was like saying, "What they were saying to me, well, I want you to do this, and I want you to do that." And I was like, "Well, I don't, want well, to. Yeah.
3: As
4: soon as you have people paying you money, you have to do as you're told. So if it's the government paying you money, you have to follow the government line. If mm-hmm. it's particularly big um, companies or sponsors, investors, you have to do as you're told.
0: Yeah.
4: Um, that's how you exist. So the Sun, yeah. for example, of being very pro-Jab, I know that they only make money from commuters. So that's they need to get, after lockdown, they lost a lot of money really suffering. The Sun newspaper make money from people going to work and coming home from work, picking up the newspaper. Mm. So they need to get back, people back into work. That's oh, how they yeah. make money. So they yeah. might have a different gender on the Jab, get people job back to work. Yeah. yeah?
0: It's a shame a lot of things literally do just fall down to money and how much more you can get because of something but why do you think it is that the public are becoming more aware to not being able to trust these big journalism outlets
4: because they've seen the protests for example i mean i've been to a couple of them and they were they were you know they were called anti-vaxxers and they weren't you know within half an hour i interviewed a professor from imperial Imperial college london a history teacher of 32 years a retired midwife and a vicar's wife and somebody works at the BBC in half an hour, and they're yeah. just being called anti vaxxers. And if they even turn up, that's okay. one of the main reasons. Uh, yeah. these massive protests, they're not, you know, I was, <sighs> was at least 50, 100,000, 200,000 people we've had at those protests. And Richard Tice um, went up in a helicopter and we got a shot of how big the protests were. And um, all you hear from Sky and the Mail and the BBC, if they cover it, is, you get, you get bits and pieces, but generally the feeling is that these people are a nuisance mm. and they're anti-vaxxers, and that's just not the case. They're scared about vaccine passports, and they don't believe that children should be vaccinated. So um, I think they just have to, And they have, it's clear, isn't it? They have Facebook and Twitter and Instagram now to hear from people. They don't need or rely upon those media organisations in the same way they used to.
0: Yeah, yeah, and TikTok, obviously, that's another... Big one. That's I get a lot of people from TikTok for my stories. <laughs> Just scrolling it, like, oh, that's good. But um, you speak obviously very openly on like Twitter and your po- on like podcasts and things about the mistrust with organisations. Have you ever had um, kind of any backlash or been con- contacted from any organisation from what you've said?
4: Um, no, oh. no. I've had my I've had my eye on BBC Panorama for a while. <laughs> uh, but they know i've got stuff on them Uh, so i've got a good uh good little insurance few insurance policies a guardian reporter um uh, i don't think the guardian will be bothering me um i've yeah i've behaved i think as an old school news editor newspaper editor would have done um where you have Protect yourself, your reputation. The Guardian tried to do a smear piece on me when I interviewed two politicians on my YouTube channel. They didn't like that. Because it was very, it was a very, very popular recording. It's like she can't interview politicians. Yeah. She can't have any influence on where this is going. It's just Jones West Telegraph or the, the, the Mail or The Guardian. Yeah. Um that they didn't like that. And there was a bit of a smear piece from the from The Guardian, but that was ages ago, and there's nothing been nothing else. Um but I am, I am very, very aware that there's some fantastic journalists trying to do their best, but they get blocked, you know?
0: Yeah.
4: Lots of freelance health reporters who tried to get stories out there. Um, staff journalists as well. I'm in a journalism group, you know. Um, I talk to these people, former Daily Mail executives. Um, Sally Beck, who was a mainstream media journalist for many years. She was a staff mirror journalist and then became freelance. I'm in touch with them all now. Um, they are great people there's some fantastic journalists still in these organizations mm. but there comes a time when you actually have to say we need to walk out now we need to get together as a collective and walk out it's a mm. shame the NEJ aren't happy with that but you need to walk out mm. this isn't on you don't you're not listening to the people you're not providing debate you're not listening to the suffering of the people and you're failing democracy you're failing our future our children are at risk because we are losing trust and we are losing democracy and you have to take action now i would say to journalists
0: yeah i was going to say how would you want these organizations to change or sorry for to gain more trust by us what do you think could be done or is it too far gone
4: yeah i don't know if it's too far gone i can't Mm. answer that only the public yeah um the public will decide you know we we all still share in shock, though. We might read an article and think, I'm going to agree with that. Or, mm. But as soon as you share it, you give them power to it. Yeah. Still, you know, if you still buy it. My mum and dad can't stand the mail, but they buy it every day.
0: <laughs> yeah, my granddad does. He likes a newspaper.
4: <laughs> and I am on TikTok, um, mm. just for my family and friends, and I like to do stupid videos on TikTok. <laughs> I, like laugh. Yeah. I make up songs. But it can get all a bit depressing. The stuff that I put onto it is just like, it's a bit intense and depressing. Um, We've got to remember to have fun. Um, Life is beautiful. Life is beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes. Life is crazy. I tell you what, let's play the long game here, yeah? Let's hope that um, other journalism students, get some inspiration from you from listening to this and really remember that there's time and time is needed it's not going to happen overnight time is needed to change these institutions um so yeah i say journalists walk out do something but yeah you know even gradually we can bring in new media organizations um but they need a lot of investments and um a lot of time and um the future's exciting as long as we put the right values and principles first, which I think are trust, democracy and our children. If we put money, materialism, selfishness first, then I don't think the future's looking so bright.
0: I was just gonna ask that you, if you had any like one main piece of advice, obviously that like I said I'm graduating and um, next year, what's that like, one main piece of advice that you'd give maybe me or my colleagues um, for graduating and getting into, getting into the industry?
4: Think about why you want to be a journalist, and be very careful. It's not because, well, I know a lot of people had low self esteem. I did low self worth. Are you going into journalism to hold power to account, to expose corruption, to make sure these big corporations and governments can't just get away with whatever they want without being fully investigated? So, I would say the best piece of advice is remember why you went into the career, what your values and principles are, and stay hold, you know, hold on to those dearly. Mm -hmm. um and if you see something that's wrong and not right stand up we are living in a different world now where you do have the opportunity you can't contain the truth you know you can't have these gatekeepers of the narrative anymore because you've got whistleblowers with mobile phones and social media and the truth will get out there um so it's just being true to yourself um you you have to be a team player as well and you may see some things in, in an environment at work that you don't agree with yeah, we all make mistakes. Days in life can be challenging. But on the whole, if you if you're working together under that collective of the so values and principles, you focusing on those. Even if you make mistakes, things go wrong. Forgive each other, you know, learn and grow and develop and evolve. Um, but the the media of the future is exciting as long as we, like I said, don't focus on selfishness and materialism and money. Yeah you lucky me
0: thank you thank you so much for talking
4: to me it's a pleasure it's the kind of interviews I really enjoy
0: yeah um, thank you, you so much care. you too enjoy the rest of your day bye so that was the talk with Anna Brees I just wanted to go back to the part when she was talking about ITV not Responding to one in this story about the AstraZeneca and someone dying, and she said that it was to do with money. So, um, what do you guys think? What are your opinions on that?
3: Well, I don't think. See, it's it's a very difficult topic. Like, it's really upsetting when 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 you think about it. Like the fact that something mm. like that happened. However, I'm gonna have to. I don't think it's to do with the money. I think it's to do with the uproar it would have caused to mention the fact that the AstraZeneca had killed someone. Because Maybe. If, uh, if if so many people are getting, you know, like, the vaccines and things like that, um, to then go and say the AstraZeneca would has m- killed someone, it would... Yeah, I think ITV would have got loads of money from a story like that because so many people would be looking at it in shock. But it... I'm, I'm yeah, I think it goes words. against their
1: principles because they're in support of getting the vaccines. So I think posting an article or a, a news story like that would go against what they've been trying to promote and kind of contradict themselves. Even mm. though it is a true story and it is the truth. Yeah. They've got their own set of, like, norms. Boundaries. Yeah, boundaries within, that industri- within their companies. So doing that, I think, would go completely against it.
3: I think a lot of journalism companies, organisations, sorry, are trying to push the idea of, hey, get the vaccine. Like, no one's saying don't get the vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> And I feel like publishing something like that would spread kind of doubt. I in guess the, it's that the, using it.
0: Yeah, it's like the outroar more has more effect than them talking about it on ITV.
3: Because I don't think we can lie and like say, to be honest, because that would have been a really good story. You know, talking about that like that sounds really interesting. It's something I definitely would want to explore if that's what's happened and like mm-hmm. what happened, how did it, how did did it occur, where was it, but. I think publishing something like that would have so many drawbacks, mm. and like it would cause so many problems. I think even, I th- maybe ITV themselves would be worried about what kind of um, la- um backlash. Backlash. But then, that's the one, thank you. Backlash they'd get from it.
0: Yeah. Like we were saying, like as journalists, we have a duty to give the truth. So why should we not report that someone has died from the vaccine even though we are they are pro vaccine why should we hold that information back when as if it's not public knowledge as if it's not happening when the people want to know Mm -hmm. as much as they can about getting this injection into their body you know two twice and we want to know what we're actually putting in us
3: true but so it's, a, it's a difficult thing, is it? Because it's not, they're withholding the truth in a sense, but they're also just not telling one of the stories, mm. you know, so I don't know if it's a case of like, <laughs> you won't even turn it on.
1: It's like the difference, like lying is not the same as not telling the truth, like there is yeah. a difference and I feel like for this it is it is that case. They're yeah, just it's just
3: not saying a story. They're they're avoiding a story in a sense to yeah, avoid the it. backlash that would have occurred.
2: Yeah, part of that backlash, I think, would be the moral panic, like we talked in our previous episode. So maybe ITV didn't upload it for not for money issues, but like we said, for backlash issues. Because if moral panic was to spread on the vaccine, mm-hmm. that would cause all kinds of issues with the government, not just ITV.
3: Well, yeah, I would I would also say as well. Like I I can see from her her point of view. Like I think and maybe many other contributors to stories and things like that as well, way past and things like that. But I guess there's a sense maybe part of why she feels like she doesn't have trust on this anymore and it was like a a valid story is because the ITV uh, ITV didn't respond back to it, they just ignored it like it wasn't there. Mm. Maybe it's a case that journalists should be more forthcoming and honest Yeah, the idea that like, hey thank you for this story but however we can't. I, we can't in the right mind publish this due to um, how we feel the public are going to respond like I understand that this has happened and I'm I'm sorry to hear about that but mm. unfortunately we can't publish this due to this this and this of what we, we feel may occur from publishing this piece and mm. we feel it's safer for us to have to pass up on this this one this so, time
0: yeah. Thanks, guys, for joining me and having that discussion. Of course. So that is the end of the last Under the Pages episode. I'm Amy Delaunay. Thank you so much for listening, and hopefully you followed us to the end of this series.